0: You know we, we were actually responding to an ambush um, of another one of our sister squads in another platoon um we were actually only about a click out uh give or take and um so we're going to help them out because they're under um you know ambush and everything and then the next thing you know we know right before we get onto the hardball road i you, there's orange you know i feel heat and then it's black.
1: Welcome to How I Embraced the Suck, a podcast where you get to hear from veterans what life in the military is really like. I am your host, Walt. And before we start, you should know that I do not censor the show in any way. You have been warned. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I was saying I was just listening back to, uh, the, the song filth and that, yeah, that was pretty, pretty moving. I like it. It's kind of, it's, uh, having never been there, obviously, but it's still, it's like, that's kind of tough to hear. You know, I, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was, it,
1: it was a little hard <laughs> writing. Yeah, I, it thought was it came,
0: hard. I thought, I thought,
1: oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I thought it came across pretty well though. I was impressed. I like music. Thank you. I'm I uh, I've never been much of a instrumental music type of person. Like I need the lyrics to say something. I'm too dumb to to hear the words of the music, so I want some actual
0: English. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, English is uh, definitely good to use. Yeah,
1: yeah. All these instrumental, you know, classical music, or whatever. I'm just like, eh, very cool. It's good background music. It's not my thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, this is gonna be fun. I appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for coming yep, on. No problem. I think uh, let's just jump right into it. So today we have uh Craig, a former Marine, and now well, probably, uh, probably always has been a metalhead, but definitely a metalhead now. <laughs> yeah, and, and I say that, I say that knowing nothing about the whole metal genre, but but uh, yeah so what's up
0: <laughs> uh doing okay uh, just been in a little bit of a long weekend been spending some time with my kids and uh just trying to enjoy as much as i can uh i, I mean it's pretty much the only time you get off is the weekends these days so it's right. pretty nice
1: yeah yeah thanks for carving out some time and hopping on so what's your uh what tell a listener what's your military background
0: uh, so military background, I joined the Marine Corps in 2003, uh, signed up, volunteered to be infantry. Uh, that was actually my enlistment. Uh, went to boot camp, did that number, and then I once I finished all my infantry training, I was assigned with 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines out in 29 Palms, California. I did a four-year stint with those guys. Um, through that time, I did two deployments to Iraq, uh, one in 2004, one in 2005. Um, so quick turnaround, uh, it was during the whole kind of surge era, um, back then, uh, around the election times and things like that. So they were kind of pushing us out about once a year, just about it seemed. Um, yeah. and then after I got done with that, um, I, I left active duty, um, but kind of messed rolling around in the dirt, playing with guns, basically being a glorified boy scout, And so I decided to uh, go back into the reserves in a unit here in Utah that was infantry. Um, They they were uh, fourth LAR, and I was with them for a couple years, um, and eventually, finally got out after a knee injury in 2010.
1: Mm, Okay. Wow. Mm. So were you infantry when
0: you were in the regular? Yes, I was. Um, I, okay. I was a signed O-331 machine gunner. Um, so, yep, did infantry oh. the whole time. Um, unfortunately, machine gunners aren't in LAR, even though they do have machine guns. Uh, so I had to be a straight leg labeled as an O three eleven, 311 um, just regular infantryman. Uh, but one of the cool things sure. that I got to do when I was there um, is I actually got to help out um, as a combat experienced Marine because they didn't have really any combat experience left in their unit um i got to teach them basically mm. uh a lot of the infantry tactics and things that i'd learned firsthand um when it, when i was overseas in iraq uh which you know they they actually ended up getting slotted uh with orders to go to afghanistan so i would like to think that some of that training that i helped provided, you know helped them out
1: oh okay okay so they they got deployed after you had departed or after you'd separated you're saying
0: um, so, so I was actually about to get cut orders myself. Um, I'd actually only had a little bit of time left on my contract, but I was going to do a voluntary extension so that I could deploy with them since i had helped trained them. Um, but sure. I ended up having a knee injury, uh, when we were, uh, training. So lovely training accident due to two combat deployments. Um, you know, scratches, bruises, things like that, but no, like super serious, uh, you know, no arms or legs blown off or anything like that. Um, Hmm. but we were doing a training exercise. Somebody fell into my knee, popped, uh, my knee out of place, uh, tore some ligaments and all that kind of stuff. And so thus ended my Marine Corps career. Ouch.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's not much. Yeah.
0: Uh, I I remember just kind of seeing stars and um, you know, waking up on the ground and just kind of like what the heck just happened and knee the size of a softball and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and we were actually oh, yeah. in Morocco at the time um, for our annual training. And so no access to MRI machines. Um, I mean, literally nothing. We were doing some bilateral training with the Moroccan army. And so we were out in the middle of the Moroccan desert, just, you know, chilling. And here I am with this busted knee. So I basically got put on camp watch duty and got to sit on an MRE crate, you know, for the last few days of when we were there, um, fly back to the States. And, uh, you know, we find out that I've torn some ligaments and everything like that. And I've been hobbling around for, I think it was like three or four days with this busted knee.
1: Wow. Oh man. (laughs) That's tough. Yeah. So you're just sitting there nursing your knee. Like, Uh, can I just go home now?
0: Yeah, I mean, it would have been nice. Um, And then, you know, when when you do uh, anything where you go overseas too, if you bring your own equipment, you got to like wash it and everything because of, you know, all the customs and, you know, so you got to make sure that you're not bringing back camel spiders or, you know, any uh, flora fauna, anything like that. So and so I'm sitting there bored because I'm on light duty. Um, you know, they're not going to let me go and start using pressure washers and, you know, getting stuff loaded up back up onto the ships and things like that. So, um, basically I got to sit there and help my friends, um, you know, my buddies and my fire team and stuff, clean their rifles so that they could get packed up in the crates to go while they did all the pressure washing stuff and, you know, packing everything up and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: Oh man. (laughs) The, uh, the medic giving you an aspirin and a, and a drink of water didn't quite cut it for that one. (laughs)
0: no no definitely not um I I think probably the hardest part of it was waking up in the middle of night if you had to go and take a whiz um because our latrine was easily like 100 yards away and especially when I first injured my knee like I could barely walk um you know so I had to sit there and hop like 100 yards just to go and get to the head Mm -hmm. and uh try to take a leak or whatever and or brush my teeth, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Cause the whole hygiene area was over in the same spot. And so, yeah, I, I was, it, it was an experience to say the least. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
1: That's a bummer.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I probably would have been a full 20 guy too. Um, I mean when, when I was 14 years old, I'd, I, I think I was about 14, maybe I was 15 somewhere mm-hmm. around there. I, I had actually contacted my first recruiter, um, and they're like, you're just a little teeny bit too young, but here's a poster. And, you know, they started sending me annual posters after that. So, you know, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to join the Marine Corps and everything. And right, um, e- even though I had some, you know, issues with some of the things that, you know, you have to do in the military, um, you know, it, it typically has to be somebody else's kid. And I didn't want it to be somebody else's kid. And sure. on top of that, I was good at my job you know, um, I, I mean, I'm not saying that I was like God's gift to the Marine Corps or anything like that, but you know, I, I was a good machine. Right. Um, you know, I was accurate. I could teach people. I had experience. I was able to pass some of that stuff on. And if I would have been able to get another, you know, uh, extension in there, you know, reenlist then, you know, maybe I could have gone and been, you know, some kind of, you know, uh, school of infantry trainer, or maybe a drill instructor, you know, something along those lines where I can pass on, that experience and knowledge to younger generations so that they would be able to continue on. Hmm. Um, I mean, one of the things that I actually do kind of enjoy about the United States military compared to a lot of other militaries around the world is that we're actually an all volunteer force.
2: I mean, granted the
0: selective service and whatnot does exist, but you know, people are actually, you know, the, the stepping forward and volunteering their time. They're not forced to do it. Um, at least not, you know, since Vietnam. Sure. And you know, I, I was actually one of those kids too. Um, happened when I was in high school. Um, that, mm. that was actually what kind of sealed the deal for me that that was going to be the direction I was going to go was military. Um, and, and I do remember, um, you know, when, when the towers were struck and everything going and talking to my mom and dad, um, that night, um, you know, I didn't come straight home from school. I kind of had to go up into the mountains here in Utah and just kind of collect my thoughts in the foothills for a little bit mm. kind of look at, the scenery for a minute, you know, just kind of gather myself. And that's when I came to the decision and I walked up to my mom and dad later that evening, um, sat them down and I'm like, look, I'm going to be, you know, of age soon enough. And as soon as I'm done with high school, I'm going to join the military anyways. So how would you guys like to sign my papers? Right. right. Cause I was still 17 at the time. Huh. Um, actually it was a little bit before I was 17, but, um, you, you, you know, were, you I, were prepping I literally you was laying the, 17 the following month. Yeah. Yep. Um, it, huh. you know, cause September is when it happened. October is when I turned 17. And so I was just like, oh, you know, wow. let, let's go ahead and, uh, get that signed up. You know, wow. I, I want my paper signed and you know, they, they did the parent thing. Let's think about it. This is a really big decision. You don't want to rush it. And I get where they're coming from. They knew that, you know, it was a wartime situation. Um, yeah. and that I was literally asking to go to war. Um, right, right. And, you know, 17-year-old doesn't know any better. Uh, we don't know what it's like over there or anything like that. Everything's just movies for us. And uh, But I kept bugging them, you know, week after week, month after month. And then finally in about July, um, after I had turned 17, um, in between my junior and senior year, my mom and dad, uh, they, they took me out on Bear Lake up in northern Utah and uh, they, they decided uh, to break the news to me then uh, while I was out there kind of, you know, just chilling out on the water, rocking in the waves. And they're like, you know, Craig, you've made a lot of really stupid adult level decisions as a teenager, uh, sneaking out of the house, stuff like that, you know, causing us some hell. But uh, out of all of the things that you've talked about and all the things that you've done, this is one that we can honestly say that we're proud of that you're making, hmm. and we would be happy to have your recruiter come by when we get back from Bear Lake and sign your papers. Huh.
1: Yeah. that Yeah, they wanted you to consider the gravity of it, but then once you seemed set, they were, mm-hmm. huh, that's pretty cool.
0: Oh, I, I, I never let up on them. <laughs> um, I mean, I was in the JROTC program in high school. Mm, okay. Um, you know, so... It, I loved everything about it. Kind of the more regimented structure, you know, and everything like that. Um, sure. the, like I said before, the kind of glorified boy scout kind of mentality of things. And I, I'd been talking to recruiters and, you know, they, they boosted it up a lot. I mean, I, I remember, um, uh, the Sergeant Watkins, he was actually my recruiter. Uh, he, <laughs> He was telling me about like going on a Westpac float um, and how, you know, you're going to have all these Australian babes that are like throwing tennis balls at you with their phone number and you go and you meet up with them and they're going to, you know, pamper you and take you home and they're all hot. And I mean, right. What's not to like a, for a 17 year old kid, right. you know, he plus knows, you look snazzy he knows what the you're talking. and the dress <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, it's like 17 year old kid, uh, you know, I, I I was all about it. And so I I was hooked and, you know, watching all the motivational recruiting videos and I had all the posters up on my wall. Like I said, I've been talking to him since I was like 14, 15 years old. Um, you know, I, I was ready to rock and roll. I, I'd been studying the rank structures. I've been studying all the general orders. Like I I was dead set before I'd even signed up that I was going to be a Marine and nothing was going to stop me.
1: Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's pretty neat. And and then you're like, it's July and it's going to be over by Christmas, so I need to get my chance.
0: <laughs> yeah, um I I mean I'd actually uh worked with uh my recruiter as well as my school to actually graduate early so that I could go to boot camp oh. sooner. Um and oh. like I I pushed really hard uh to get all my grades done, get all my required credits, everything like that so that they could ship me off and uh, go do my thing. Like, I I was done sitting around. I was ready to be an adult and this, that, and the other. So, um, unfortunately, though, the school, uh, one of my teachers decided to not enter things correctly, and so I didn't have one of my computer credits, so I didn't end up graduating until June anyways. Well, technically, um, May, um, but... Right. So... I basically had to sit around while they tried to fix that. I didn't get a walk with my class, like none of that kind of stuff, because sure. I figured I was already going to be in boot camp. Didn't order a gown, didn't order a cap, none of that kind of stuff. So uh, that that was that. And uh, two weeks after my class graduated, I, I ended up uh, heading out. And hmm. um, while a couple of other guys ended up following on after me, like about six months later or so when they decided to sign up. And get their ship dates. Um, I was actually the only one in my graduating class that actually that went on the Marine side mm, Okay. Um, at that time. Um, so there was two other guys that ended up joining up with the Marines as well. I believe it was two that were my grade. Um, but they didn't end up shipping out to boot camp until later on. Um, I, th- I saw one of them in passing. He was a brand new guy in boot camp. Still had to go through the experience as I was getting ready to graduate the following day. And, um, uh, the, uh, other one, he ended up going in a month later and I ended up bumping into him in the fleet later on huh. and just like, holy cow, I didn't think you were going to join the Marine Corps dude. Like, <laughs> so just kind of cool there. Um, yeah. but yeah, um, you know, in- interestingly enough, as long as we're on kind of boot camp, uh, just kind of a cool little Marine Corps story about, um, you know, my background, uh, so when I got my Eagle Globe and Anchor, like when you're actually considered a Marine, um, you know, we, there's a whole ceremony and everything. Your drill instructor gives you your, you know, Eagle Globe and Anchor in your hand, shakes your hand, tells you congratulations, Marine. And then you get to put it in your hat and everything. And then you get to go see your family, um, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, it, it's the ceremony before the actual graduation. Um, but uh, that, that actually occurred for me on September 11th so the reason why i joined the military was actually the day that i got my eagle globe and anchor right Um, well that's interesting and so that in in a way yeah in a way i'm actually kind of happy um or or at least i was kind of proud that i got delayed on my ship date because if i would have gone when you know i originally had planned to in like february um february march time frame then i wouldn't have had that opportunity and i ended up being actually part of the first group of Marines that became Marines on September 11th, since the attacks had happened. Sure. Sure. And so it kind of was a little bit more pomp and circumstance because they actually mentioned those kinds of things that we were the generation that stepped forward to volunteer, to go to war. And we were actually becoming Marines on the day for the reason why we signed up. So it was kind of just a little bit more of a solemn occasion for us. Um, and so I thought that was pretty neat uh, that that coincidentally kind of happened.
1: Well, and especially being the first year after, probably every single person there had almost the exact same reason, or at least it was a massive reason for them joining. It was like if it happened today, oh, you yeah. know, so kids wouldn't even remember it
0: necessarily
1: <clears throat> happening.
0: Yeah, but, it seems that way. They're pretty distracted. They might just be looking on their phone, phones yeah. playing Candy Crush or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Huh. I, I actually so, remember one of the guys I went to boot camp with. Oh, go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I, yeah. OK. I was just yeah, going to say something. Yeah. When. Uh, so when you joined up. No, you, you go ahead. I'll, I'll just make a note. I'll just. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> one no, of the guys you went to boot um, camp. I, with. I was just
0: going to say, um, yeah, uh, kind of to tie into what you were saying. Um, he actually was 27 years old uh, when he joined the Marine Corps. Whoa. And he was another 9-11 guy, um, but he was a teacher um, and everything. And he left his professional career to go and sign up. Sure. Um, and he had to pass a lot more medical waivers and things like that because of his age and whatnot. But he was able to pass everything finally, and he was actually in my boot camp platoon um, and crossed that line with me. And um, wow, we called him the grand old man of the Marine Corps and everything like that because, <laughs> yeah. you know, obviously he's... A lot older than all of us by almost a decade. And right. uh, But just a really good guy. And it it was cool to see that it wasn't just, you know, us young 17, 18 year old kids that were, you know, squaring up the hand and volunteering. I mean, there were people that literally had careers already established that were squaring up, you know, their hand and going in. Um, and, And I thought that was actually pretty amazing you know, a lot of people talk about how, you know, September 11th was tragedy, but September 12th was kind of the day we all came back together. And I, you know, I wish we could go back to kind of that mentality, but without the tragedy, um, hmm. you know, it, it was really true in that sense. You know, we were all coming together for the same kind of thing, um, yeah. for varying reasons, varying backgrounds, but we were all united with one purpose um, and we were all doing what we could do to try to help out in whatever way we could, whether it was donating to the Red Cross, whether it was, you know, joining the military, whether it was, you know, picking some way that you could help another person. And for a while, hmm. you know, a couple of years, it was like that. And, uh, just kind of missed that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The camaraderie of it. The unity. Huh? Yeah. So when you, uh, as, you know, as, as you were saying, there were a whole lot of people uh joined up around that time. Did you did you have to fight for a slot or were they just taking anybody? What what was the recruiting like?
0: Um you know, back then, um because they were actually expanding the Marine Corps, um it, it was pretty much mm. open to anybody as long as you didn't have a major criminal background um or, you know, like any kind of major medical issue, things of that nature. I okay. mean, and they were giving out waivers left and right because we needed bodies. Um, they they knew that Um, I mean, literally uh, about three months before I went to boot camp, we also got involved in Iraq. And so they they knew that Marines were going to be cycling through things um, because we were still in Afghanistan. We were getting ready to do another war. Um, So, you know, they they decided to expand around that time um, from I think it was like 180,000 Marines up to like 220,000. And so, and you had all these other guys that were coming up at the end of their enlistments as well that didn't want to continue on, you know, they did their time, they, they did their stuff and then they retirees. So they got to fill back in, you know, those empty spaces as well. Yeah.
1: That's good. Yeah. Especially if not to knock them, but some guys, you know, they were, they were in the military in the eighties and the nineties and there's not a lot of combat. And they might have enjoyed that. And then they're looking ahead and they're like, OK, we're literally going to war and I'm approaching, you know, I'm I'm ready to retire. I just as soon not go to a, to a combat zone. So that makes sense that people would maybe be uh, jumping out. Huh. That's a good point, though.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I had a gunnery sergeant, my uh, company Gunny and uh also had my uh platoon sergeant they were both uh Gulf war guys back when they were lance corporals and PFCs and so uh they they had actually you know crossed those same berms that marines you know when i was going in were going to be crossing yeah. um you know or had crossed i should say hmm. um unfortunately my battalion they missed out on the invasion Uh, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say, unfortunately, because war, you know, does suck, (laughs) but, uh, you know, obviously with kind of that mentality of the infantry Marine, you know, they, they were ticked off. They ended up getting stuck over in Okinawa because of the stop loss and stop move that was signed by, uh, W and so they couldn't move from Okinawa to go and, uh, do Afghanistan or the invasion for Iraq. Right. Um, so they, they ended up basically stuck twice. Uh, when 9-11 happened, they were stuck over in Okinawa. And then a couple of years later, they had cycled back over. And then the orders came down to hit Iraq. And there was a stop-loss-stop move there again. And so they ended up stuck in Okinawa twice. Uh, in Okinawa, you know, of all places. My senior guys were telling me all about it. Yeah. And and I mean, it's cool at first, you know, because you're in a different country and everything like that, but then you're stuck on an Island, you're far away from home. Um, and you know, it's an Island. Yeah. You can only cross it so many times before things get boring. Um, and they were telling me basically it was just barracks boredom, uh, by the time they finally got to come back. And that was about two months after we got dropped into their unit, uh, or, or before we got dropped into their unit. And so, Uh, They were, they were ready to, they were chomping at the bit um, right to to be able to go and do something, anything. Um, And I mean, I went from infantry school, uh, graduating in November and our orders were cut to be deployed um, for the first part of the security and stability operations, um, you know, in in 04, um, you know, the invasions winding down and everything like that about a year later. And so now we're starting to try to build the rapport with Iraqi people and everything. And so our orders True. come in February for February. And so I literally only had a couple months to train with these guys. And half the time you're doing all the legal paperwork, like your will and making sure that your SGLI is all, you know, set up and everything. And, um, you know, I'll, you'll have to excuse my dogs. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but, you know, you, you, here, here you are 18, 19 years old we actually had one guy that uh, was getting ready to play with us that was 17 years old Uh, I was back before they put the regulation where you couldn't be 17 and go to combat anymore Um, oh you know and and we're writing our wills to our moms and dads or you know whatever family we've got you know alive Uh, you know some guys raised by their grandparents whatever um, you know, and, and we're kids. Um, and that's when reality started setting in for us. Like, oh my gosh, I'm literally signing papers saying that if I die, you know, right. this X is gonna happen, you know, this money's gonna go to my mom and dad. Um yeah. and it was just kind of crazy. And I, I remember, you know, just kind of the butterflies and the stomach and everything that night before we were about to deploy. And um, uh, you know, the hmm. we were gonna be getting on the buses the next morning, and I sent the last, you know. Uh, phone call to my, you know, my mom and dad, my brother and my sisters, you know, uh, my girlfriend at the time, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, basically telling them goodbye. And that was going to be the last time that I talked to him for, you know, a few weeks until we actually got in country. Um, you know, it, it was just a really crazy feeling. Like I just literally boxed up my phone, put it in the post office to mail back home. And that, that was that.
1: Huh. And, and imagine, yeah, I mean, that's crazy, but imagine today, if, if the exact same situation was to happen today, you know, just in that span of 20 years, almost the, or a little more, I guess the, uh, the reliance on phones and electronic communication is so much greater. I'd I'd just be, I can't imagine that. Oh yeah. (laughs) I mean, I,
0: I try to avoid, they they didn't even really have digital cameras,
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, right.
0: I mean I mean anything digital was like $400 and it was, you know, not even anything close to what smartphones can take pictures of these days. So like when we were taking pictures, you know, like the the motivational, you know, unit pictures of everything when we're all, you know, doing our ura poses and everything like that, you know, they were all on those little uh, old Kodak, you know, wind cameras and stuff like that. Yep. And, yep. Um you know, and then they've got all those fancy technology things and everything like that. Um, you know, all, all kind of, everybody's got night vision now. Everybody's got, you know, RCOs on their M16s. You know, we were still running iron sights. We were still, you know, I, I mean, I was, I, I was issued an Alice pack. Uh, oh, wow. Just uh, eventually a Molly pack came available. But like when I first got to the fleet, I was issued an Alice pack. I mean, that that's, Wow. We, we were right in the transition of going into the digital camouflage. So half of us were in digital camis. Some of us were in the, you know, tricolors. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, some guys still had their black boots. Some of us had tan boots. Um, I mean, it was a hodgepodge. Huh. Um, eventually, as the deployment wore on, everybody got converted into the digital camis and the hmm. desert boots and everything like that. But, um, I mean, we didn't we, we, we didn't get the cool, you know, ILBI systems or the, you know, uh, flak jackets that have like all the cool little accessories and stuff. Um, you know, none of that kind of stuff. We were still using web gear in some cases. Um, wow. it, it was just really crazy. Um, but you know, we did it. And, and, uh, I, I also remember when we were on deployment, uh, that, that first go, uh, I mean, we were in Bedouin tents for a good portion of it. And on top of that, we didn't have the, uh, up armor Humvees and everything like they got now, you know, and the, oh, yeah. uh, whatever bear cats or whatever they call them these days or whatever, sure. you know, we were running in thin skinned regular Humvees, you know, patrolling and going and looking for, you know, bad guys. And, uh, I mean, there, there were times where I wondered, you know, how in the hell did we survive this? Cause you'd come out and there'd be trucks looking like Swiss cheese, you know, and, I mean, thankfully, wow. we, we, we didn't lose a whole ton of guys. Um, we, we lost nine on that deployment, um, but it, it was just crazy. And I, I don't know how we ended up, you know, not getting cut to shreds in some of these, you know, situations, uh, not just my squad, but, you know, everybody through our battalion. Uh, I mean, we were literally taking steel plates and welding them on our Humvees ourselves. And uh, we got hmm. these Kevlar blanket kits that we were putting down. Um, you know, on this draping over the sides of the, you know, four pack Humvees and high back Humvees and stuff like that. And, uh, I mean, we, we were putting sandbags in the bottom of our Humvees, you know, so shrapnel sure. wasn't coming up from underneath from some of the IEDs and mines and stuff that they were planning. Hmm. And, and, you know, so we, we, just ponder sometimes like how, how the hell. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's wild. And I mean, back then too, we weren't even just dealing with the, you know, Al Qaeda types and whatnot. The, 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 you know, we we were dealing with regular army. These guys were trained to use mortars, rockets, you know, ambush tactics, all that kind sure. of stuff. And so we we were actually dealing with guys that may not have quite as much equipment, but they at least had the basic training. I mean, we we were, you know, they they. Hmm. That they were able to actually fight. You know, they did a lot of ghosting tactics with you know quick strike ambushes and stuff like that, and then melt back. But they they knew what they were doing at least. They knew how to set up an L shape ambush. They knew how to you know set up a mortar team and be able to bracket you know to hmm. do their firing. M- my first enemy contact was actually getting bracketed by enemy mortars. Oh um, wow! You know that that yeah. I, I mean, we we go out to go and take care of an IED. We're escorting EOD out. And uh, next thing I know, you know, we hear boom, boom, and it's like, wh- where the hell was fire in the hole? You know, because the last couple weeks we'd heard fire in the hole before they, you know, long, blow, blow up the IEDs, and then all of a sudden it goes from those two explosions to ba boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom. Oh, you know, yeah. and they're walking them through our Humvees.
1: Oh, so you were set up uh, on the IED and ready, ready for him to blow it to,
0: to basically. Oh. Yeah. the EOD was up there in their suits and everything. They, they had placed the charges and all that kind of stuff to blow up the round. And um, so wow. we thought the EOD detonated the charge without saying fire in the hole. Right. Right. And you know, but those were two spotting rounds. Wow. Um, and then the next thing you know, we're getting freaking bracketed. Wow. Um, That's, crazy. you know, so they had a spotter and then, you know, somewhere with binos watching us and saying, Hey, adjust this way and everything just like we do you know, they're saying up 20, right. You know, whatever, uh, doing all that kind of stuff exactly like we do to them. Wow. And so we, we, we definitely were dealing with some pretty experienced elements on my first deployment. And so that one was a little bit more wild west. That's for sure.
1: Was so you deployed with the same unit, both, both years, both times you went.
0: Yeah. What, uh, both times were with uh weapons company, uh, with, uh, two, seven, Mm -hmm. um, I was a machine gunner. I ended up getting attached to a mortar platoon. Um, but since we had arty, we had AIR, everything like that, basically 24-7 when we were there, there was no need for you know conventional 81-millimeter mortars. And plus, they're hard to set up. So they're like, hey, guess what? You guys are going to go on patrols and stuff. So you guys are just going to ride around in trucks and try to go find bad guys and set up checkpoints and you know go do this and wow. escort the company commander to go meet the you know, uh, the, the local sheik or the local police chief or the mayor or whatever. And, um, so we were escorting, you know, people, we were doing regular patrols and everything like that. I mean, I was trained to basically set up my machine gun and guard the mortar pit. Um, that, that was what I was trained to do. Um, Mm. and and now they're like, oh yeah, by the way, you need to, uh, go up on top of this Humvee and be a bullet magnet for us. And I mean, we didn't have turret shields. We didn't have anything. So Um, and me being, you know, young and dumb and 18 years old, I'm rolling around freaking <laughs> Iraq with no helmet on and stupid crap like that because it was too hot and, uh, just too cool. I, for I, I don't school. even get how we, <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, it was pretty nuts. That's for sure.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Was there a a difference in tasking between the two deployments or was, were they very similar?
0: Um, That there were actually night and day difference. Mm. Um, So, so kind of like how I described where we were doing with a lot more direct action stuff, Um, you know, guys actually trying to go toe to toe with us and doing ambushes and, you know, things like that. (laughs) Um, You ended up with more of the insurgency element, um, you know, foreign fighters and things like that. When we went round two Okay. Uh, so you had a lot more sniper tactics. You had a lot more IED attacks. Um, you had a lot more, um, you know, sitting there and wondering what the heck is going on and why you're there type stuff. I mean, you didn't have time to think on deployment one, whereas deployment two, there were times where there was nothing going on and then it would be exciting for like two or three days. And then, there would be nothing and then there would be an IED and then nothing. And then a suicide bomber and then nothing. Right. Um, so I just kind of went back and forth and you had to be a lot more on your toes too. Um, I mean, because, um, on the second deployment, uh, they were doing a lot more like human shield stuff and, um, you know, things like that. And, and I, 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 think that was actually one of the hardest things to deal with, you know, aside from guys dying and you know, whatnot is, uh, j- just, just, never knowing who the good guys were, you know,
2: that mm, there were no yeah.
0: real lines. There was no, um, that they, they, they dressed, you know, like civilians. They, they did all that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, all that jazz. And so it became a lot harder. Hmm. Um, it, it was a lot more psychological warfare on us. Um, sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. Every once in a while, they try to shoot at us and everything, but, um, you know, it was just that psychological stuff. And then they went when they did hit us, um, they usually tried. It, it almost always seemed like it was around a holiday, like they just wanted to give you a big fu. Um, sure. You know, around Christmas or around Thanksgiving. I mean, they know when our holidays are. They got Google um, and they know what we celebrate and they know that we're wishing that we were home. And then the next thing you know, an IED is going off and blowing you up or you're getting shot at or, you know, ambushed or whatever. Or Mm. a sniper, you know, shoots somebody in the back, you know, any number of those things. And so it just kind of became a lot harder. And, you know, I I go through the first deployment, never get touched. And uh, the second deployment is when I finally had my first experience uh, directly firsthand with an IED. Um, Mm. And, uh, you know, we we were actually responding to an ambush um, of another one of our sister squads in another platoon. Um, We were actually only about a click out. Uh, give or take, and um, so we're going to help them out because they're under, um, you know, ambush and everything. And then the next thing, you know, we know right before we get onto the hardball road, I you, there's orange, you know, I feel heat, and then it's black, and then you know I wake mm. up and uh, you know, the gun guns just twisted, pointed straight up in the air, and just like what the hell just happened? Wow, you know, yeah. Um, and everything's just moving in slow motion, but fast. And, uh, it's, it's, you, 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 you know, what's going on, but you don't. And then you're getting filled in like, dude, did you know that you did this? And it's like, what? Cause you know, your brain's blocking all kinds of stuff out. It's just pure adrenaline that you're going on. And, uh um, sure. it, it, it was just, it, it was surreal. Um, I, I mean, I, I read really don't even remember a whole lot. Like most of what I've gotten um, is, has been pieced in from like the guys that were behind me in the other Humvees and stuff like that. Um, because, you know, I, I have, you know, the, some images in my head of things, mm-hmm. but like the, Timeline doesn't quite mess up or, or match up and things like that. And, um, you, you just end up in a situation where it's just totally bizarre and crazy. And so they're kind of filling in the gaps for you right. on things that happened. And, um, it, it was just a crazy experience. Um, and you know, at, by the end of the day, uh, we, we'd actually lost two of our Marines, um, oh. uh, from our sister squad cause we couldn't make it there in time. Um, right. You know, and I mean, like a, a click, you know, you're about a thousand yards away, you know, it's not far. They were at one end of their AO that where they were supposed to be patrolling. We were on the other end, you know, where we were supposed to be patrolling. So we were pretty close. We were on the edges of each other's respective maps close to each other. Right. Um, I mean, we, we literally saw the smoke coming up when the IED got triggered the ambush for them. Hmm. Um, and so, so it was, uh, uh, and it, it was this helplessness, you know, because, yeah. um, you know, you're so close, but you're so far away. You know, we've got a vehicle that's down blocking the dirt road. Um, we, we had a berm on, uh, one side of us and then we had a ditch on the other. Um, and it was one of those wider, you know, deeper ditches where a Humvee can't just, you know, hop over unless it's going at a straight run. Sure. But we were on, we had the berm on the other side, so you can't do a straight run to hop it. And get around. So the guys literally had to backtrack the other trucks behind us to find another way to get back up onto the hardball. And then they're dealing with me and my truck. Um, you know, and, and you know, there, there's our guys that are hurting and stuff. Um, and then, you know, we can't really go and assist until we can get our site secure. Right. Um, right. And so things ended up getting delayed. And, uh, so yeah, two guys ended up, uh, passing away because of that. Um, hmm. uh, we, we believe one of them ended up, uh, killed on impact, but the other guy, he was, uh, uh, from talking to a couple of my buddies, um, and the other squad, they, uh, uh, they, they, he, he was at least alive and kicking for a little bit, just hurt. And, uh, um, sure. we, we couldn't get the site secured in time to get an error, uh, in, and then the guys in my truck. Um, I I was the one that was the most okay. Um, Took a little bit of uh, shrapnel. Nothing too serious. I ended up getting like an involuntary LaBray piercing. Uh, Ended up piercing my lip about right there. Um, I got some general peppering. Um, The one day that I decided to wear my shoulder pads, they got blown off. Um, So thankfully I was wearing those. Right. Um, I ended up with a, you know, a pretty good concussion. Um, it, It ended up tearing out like probably a good, uh, all the shrapnel from the engine. Um, cause that's where, um, the IED was, it ended up tearing out probably, I don't know, like a three inch, uh, gash in my helmet. Um, you know, just oh, all this wow. stuff. And, but somehow, uh, like I, I, didn't really get touched otherwise, but I had other guys in the truck that ended up pretty hurt and hmm. a couple of them actually had to get air medevaced out. So, um, but, uh, th- thankfully, uh, survived. Yeah. Um, uh, hmm. uh, we, we managed to secure a landing zone and everything. And, uh, even though he had a pretty good laceration, we had a, a, a killer corpsman, um, doc, our, our doc, doc Hickman was the coolest dude on the face of hmm. the planet and just way skilled. And, um, yeah. he, he, basically, uh, you know, ran up, it, it was my driver. Uh, he, he had an artery severed, um, you know my doc he uh ran up on us uh you know I, i'm sitting there screaming for the corpsman and um he helps me uh get uh my driver uh, uh out um of his flak jacket and everything and uh just blood everywhere and so he he recognizes that there's clearly an arterial bleed he manages to you know quickly locate it and everything and he ends up stuffing hmm. everything that he can in there and, uh, basically duct tapes, um, his arm up against his side as mm. tight as he possibly can to basically create a compress. Cause it was right. just, it was the brachial right up in the armpit where the heavy bleeding was. Okay. Um, sure. And, and so that had slowed it down enough, um, to where he was able to make it to the medevac. So brilliant Corman! Wow. Um, you know, he ended up uh getting a uh, navy commendation I think for that. Oh yeah. Um That's crazy. Uh, but yeah, just yeah, uh and, and, and I mean uh, you you originally had uh seen me uh you know online uh hearing a song that I wrote and some of that's actually um you know part of that hmm. uh day um th- there's a line in the song where you know I saw my best friend dying in my arms. Um, it, it was talking about my driver. Um, mm, yeah, well, you know, he didn't die, but he was dying. Right. 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 Um, thankfully he survived, um, you know, multiple surgeries later, all that kind of jazz and living a successful life. Um, but yeah, you know, the, there was some homage paid in that song. Um, as, as you mentioned, uh, at the beginning, you know, metalhead, uh, and play with my brother and my dad. And, um, you know, I, I struggled a lot with post-traumatic stress disorder from some of the stuff. Um, Mm, and I found that one of the easiest ways to talk about it for me was actually to, um, write about it. Um, and I'd always had, you know, kind of a musical angle with things and, um, you know, so I, I was able to kind of use that as my outlet to help me process some of what happened. And, uh, you know, not everything ends up making it to the cutting floor and everything like that. But um, I, my, my dad, he had written um, some pretty killer guitar licks. And Dax, hmm. hush. Sorry, my dog. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but when I heard it, I, I actually had written, um, some stuff from before, you know, more of a poetry fashion. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was like, dad, you know, I'm going to send you some lyrics. Tell me what you think. Um, and so I sent them over to him Mm -hmm. and everything. And he was just like, those fit perfectly. I mean, he's really good at arranging, you know, things around the music, And so he did just kind of a basic um, kind of vocal demo uh, of kind of where, you know, the vocals could go as the lyrics. Mm, And uh uh, we ended up being able to formulate Mm. um, the song that I ended up naming after my squad uh, called Three Bravo. Right. Um, And and the the cool thing is, um, uh, darn it, can you still hear me? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I got you. I probably only have a couple more minutes left, um, so we're going to have to wrap this up. My laptop is a piece of junk, unfortunately.
2: Oh, oh shoot. Um, okay. But,
0: yeah, I just got the notification that we are down to a couple percent. Okay. Um, but what I wanted to do for uh, you, since you were kind of gravitating yeah. um, towards, um, you know, the the whole, you know, kind of, what I did with filth is I wanted to debut this song three Bravo for, you know, you and the people who listen to what you guys do. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, j- just so that you guys can kind of hear and, you know, if any of your listeners that are veterans out there, you know, kind of wonder how they can help process things. You know, I encourage them highly to, you know, go, go ahead and, you know, write some of this stuff down and you never know where it can go. Um, sure. And that's just kind of what I would recommend as a possible Avenue. Um, and you guys are actually getting kind of an exclusive because this actually is not set to officially release until February 3rd. Um, cause I felt that this story just really needed to be told. Mm. Um, and so you guys are going to get to hear it first before everybody else. Um, so I'm pulling it up right now. Give me two seconds.
1: And as is common, uh, we had some issues, but we're back and, uh, ready to rumble. So I'm, I'm a little grateful because that song was, that I was telling you, Craig, that song was pretty, pretty heavy. So it was nice to actually have a little, uh, break in time there and kind of, uh, kind of reassess.
0: Yeah, it, it's definitely a tough so. one. Um, I, I mean, even writing that song, um, you know, uh, with my dad and my brother, it was, uh. It was a little bit rough, but, um, you know, it was just something that I felt needed to be done, Um, especially, you know, the lines where it's talking about, you know, two more Marines guarding Heaven's Gates and, um, you know, talking Mm. about those guys that we lost that day, Uh, you know, just wanted to be able to try to pay them some homage, you know, where the, the, those of us who come home, you know, we, we try to live our lives the best that we can. And in a way, we're really trying right. to do it in honor of them. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was definitely a hard song <laughs> to record and everything, and, but just felt it needed to be done.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's, uh,
0: yeah.
2: <clears throat>
0: um, but yeah, just to kind of segue into the uh-huh. um, uh, other song a little bit that we released, the one that you were first drawn into uh it hasn't been released yet uh it'll be with the full album uh when when we release that uh coming up here in april um that that one um okay i i just want to kind of touch a little bit towards the end of that and um you know if if folks want to kind of get a little preview of it it's not a mastered version um but i do have it up on our soundcloud you just have to look up three bravo and uh, just look for our logo. It's literally just a three and a B uh, pretty easy to find. Um, But towards the end of that song, um, there's a little thing where it talks about uh, I'm talking and uh, basically tell Pete kind of address the Marines and soldier sailors, anybody who's listening, you know um, just to let them know that they're not alone and, that we're all kind of feeling that pain mm. together. And, you know, one of the reasons why I kind of chose to go that direction was just to kind of hopefully remind everybody, um, you know, that that's in the veteran community that, you know, when, when we were all deployed, um, you know, you had somebody that was always watching your back, you know, whether it was a battle buddy, uh, whether it was your fire team, whether it was your squad, you know, you always had somebody with you. And... Mm. Um, just like we had somebody with us there, we, we need to have somebody with us as we're in the civilian world. Um, whether that's your VA team, um, your wife, husband, um, you know, whatever significant other, uh, you may have, if you're not quite married yet, um, your children, your parents, um, you know, a counselor, whatever you've got to do. Um, you, you still need to have that connection where somebody's got your back. Um, in one case for me, I actually got connected with the Semper Fi Fund, uh, which is a really great organization. Um, if you look them up, uh, they, they do a lot of, um, you know, kind of getting Marines back together from their units. So you can also get back with your brothers as well. Um, a couple of years ago, they did a, a reunion for uh, my company that I served with weapons company. And, uh, we were able to kind of pick up that bond that we had, you know, and it was almost like, you know, we, we didn't all go our separate ways all over the country. You know, we were all sitting there and they do a lot of really great activities. Um, you know, where, where you're able to bond together again as brothers. And also they give you resources while you're there. Um, you know, to, direct you and uh, they've got counselors there to help guide some of the stuff if you still haven't quite navigated that VA process yet. Um, so just just a really great hmm. resource is uh, Semper Fi Fund. And then they've also expanded to other branches as well. There's kind of a little offshoot of it called America's Fund. Um, real, really, really great organization um, that, that's out there helping vets, um, you know, reconnect with each other, uh, get the services that they need. Um, I know they do some rehabilitation stuff, hmm. just all kinds of things. And then a number of years ago, um, I actually ended up homeless and they actually helped us with things like, um, uh, me getting some interview clothing, uh, to be able to go in an interview for jobs. Um, you know, just a few huh. Walmart gift cards and yeah. things like that, just, just to kind of help out, um, you know, doing what they can, they, they obviously can't take care of everybody. Um, but they do try to help where they're able. Um, and so it's, it, it is really a great resource. Um, I can't remember the website offhand, but literally if you go onto Google and you look up Semper Five Fund, uh, you can find these guys and, uh, get in touch with them and yeah. definitely recommend that for people. Um, but ultimately you've got to find a way to heal, whether it's writing music, whether it's, um, you know, getting with your counselor, whether it's even getting out into the outdoors, Um, to give a little bit of a backstory on why I'm really, really adamant about this, um, back in about 2009, uh, went through a really rough patch. Um, this was shortly after I'd busted my knee and I didn't quite know, um, you know, whether my Mm. Marine Corps career was. Um, and then the, the woman that I was with at the time, she decided that she was going to be done. Um, I didn't know if I was going to be going to Afghanistan with the guys that I've been training with. Um, and, and then I also lost a job. And so with all these things, you know, kind of happening all at once, we, we ended up with a situation where hmm.
2: yeah.
0: I wasn't able to really, you know, mentally keep things at bay. You know, it, it's almost like, uh, the, the pressure in the dam just built up so much Then I started getting all the flooding with things like, you know, the flashbacks, bad memories, um, you know, panic attacks, all this kind of stuff. You know, you're dealing with so much all at once, the floodgates open. And I ultimately ended up in a situation where I made an attempt on my own life. Um, And so that's why I'm so adamant about, you know, finding a way for, you know, these young men and women that have seen um, you know, war to be able to reach out and find some help um, because I was almost one of those twenty-two a day statistics, and I, I've lost too many of my brothers that I served with that have also become those statistics, and uh, so so that that's why I put these mm, messages yeah. in what I'm writing, um, and, and I encourage, you know them to at least write down some of their story, not necessarily where it took me a long time to be comfortable telling any of it. And so I I get that end, but they need to be where they can at least start releasing that pressure valve. And the only way that you can do it is to get that memory out to start to process it. It's, it's uncomfortable. Um, You're going to face some things Hmm. that you don't like. Um, you're you're going to face some things that you don't want to remember. Um, I still don't want to remember most of them, but at least now it's at a point where I'm not, you know, freaking out to the point where, you know, there's suicidal ideation, you know, and things like that. Um, you know, there, there's unconscious thoughts that happen. Right, there right. are triggers that happen that you can't control. But by releasing some of that pressure, it's just like small earthquakes that happen where rather than having a gigantic, you know, nine point on the Richter scale, you're getting these little twos and threes that are just kind of releasing that valve. So you don't have that big one. And so that's why I I really encourage veterans to go out there and find their Avenue. Um, Now, if, if, Anybody of your followers does want to kind of follow along with things that I talk about because I do talk about a lot of these subjects on my social media. One of the best resources yeah. um, out there is actually my Twitter account. And it's um, the, the, the handle is at Bowden on base. Uh, so just B-O-W-D-E-N on base, B-A-S-S. And, uh, yeah. anybody can reach out to me. And if you're not comfortable telling your story or talking publicly, my DMS are open. You know, I, I, have been there for a couple of my Marines. Um, I've been there for just some random people that I saw that were struggling. Um, you know, I, I I've been referred by family friends to try to help out with, uh, other veterans and stuff. So We've got to be there for each other, and that's really what it's about. We've got to get each other six, and so I just want to offer that to your listeners um, if, if they want to follow along with some of my complaint about the government stuff and see some pictures of the home cooking that I do, and uh, you know, just complain about traffic or whatever. But then I also do share some of these resources um, that I found as well, um, just periodically, so that people know that there's options out there. And then, like I said, my DMs are open. Uh, if you're a veteran, you can always get a hold of me.
1: Yeah, I've, I've, I'm always impressed by that. So many vets, you know, will have open DMs. And it's real common to, you know, lock your account or have closed DMs just because people don't want to be bothered. But there's so many vets that, yeah, like you're saying, that brotherhood there and the the desire to reach out and have each other's back. Um, that yeah, I'm always impressed by that. You know, you're, it's like putting your phone number on the internet to a certain extent and it just, you never know what kook might call you or, or who you could help, you know, just at the random, yeah. whoever contacts you. And yeah, yeah, it's great.
0: Well, and the thing too, That's um, me. you know, uh, a lot of guys that I served with, you know, if they, they decided to stay in, they're coming up on their twenties, you know, that they're coming up on their retirement time. Um, right. And, and one of the things that I noticed that was pretty common as a trend, and this is something that they need to kind of mentally prepare for is once you get timing, you you know, you're so busy when you're constantly training, constantly working, all those kind of things. Once you have a little bit more time, and I mean, you don't have time if you're infantry, you just don't, um, you, you retire infantry. You've been working 15 hour days for 20 years, you know? Um, and, and right. but, but once you kind of get into that settled down, um, you know, kind of deal where you're retired and got more free time, that's when the brain really starts kicking in. Um, you know, a lot of my brain kick in beyond the floodgates was after I busted my knee. I wasn't in that operation tempo. I wasn't able to work the job that I was currently working because, um, you know, as I sure. mentioned earlier, I was in the reserves, um, but I had a full time job. Um, but, you know, you, Bust your knee, you are not going to be doing anything. I was security, so I can't patrol, right. on, you know, around or anything, and so you you start to have those brain waves uh, start cycling some of that stuff through that you've been too busy to really think about, and so it's just something that a lot of these guys that are coming up on retirement need to kind of keep on the back burner in the back of their mind and understand that you know you are about to have time and some floodgates might start opening, and so keep keep your brothers in mind to reach out to because especially guys that you served with, that got out before you, because we, we've got resources. We've already been through a lot of the grind and, you know, don't, don't be too macho or man enough to where you think it isn't going to happen to you because it very well could.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that kind of, kind of leads into one question I like to ask everybody um, what would your advice be to a 16 or 17 year old kid who asked, who said they're planning on joining the
0: military and wanted your advice? Um, be prepared for hard days. Um, I mean, if you're really dead set on joining, you know, make make sure that you're getting some honest feedback. I'd honestly talk maybe to a veteran, you know, in your family and, you know, just kind of let them know, Hey, I'm, thinking about joining the army or I'm thinking of joining the marines or air Force or whatever and just kind of talk to them and ask them what mm-hmm. they think um you know but but understand it, it doesn't matter what branch you're going to go into uh, boot camps hard um you know you're gonna have rough days in boot camp it's likely going to be your first time away from home um it's likely going to be uh I, I, well i should say it's for an extended period of time away from home, um, you know, it's going to be, you're, you're not really going to get a sass back. I mean, you know, if you've got a little bit of an attitude with your parents, you're not going to have that opportunity with a drill instructor or a training sergeant or, you know, any of that kind of stuff that they're going to get right up in your grill and they're going to thrash you, um, you know, um, get, get physically prepared you know um start doing your physical fitness routine you know before you're in boot camp because you don't want to be sucking wind um that that's just one more yeah. obstacle that you'll have to overcome um also learn some of the knowledge um that the in history of the hmm. branch that you're joining um they're going to be doing some of that stuff anyways i mean i can't tell you how many times when you're marching or you know getting ready for the bed and lights out, where they're having you doing little ditties and things to remember every little thing that ever happened in the Marine Corps, or you know whatever branch you decide to join. That they're, they're going to be having you memorize all this, right. you know. So you might as well get a head start, um, and, and understand it's hmm. it, it's not like the movies, um, you know. That there's it, especially if you're going to go into a combat arms job, um, you know. It, it, in reality. Even the most accurate movies, um, that they're not going to be as accurate as you think. Um, I mean, just a clear example that that I can think up of to kind of give a good idea for so any young men or young women out there. Just in in movies, when there is an explosion, you know, it's this big kaboom. You know, um, you, you get that Dolby surround sound, whatever. It's it's vibrating your couch. And everything like that, like you're, right. you're you're hearing that boom. When you're in an explosion, it's more like a, you know, you're you're getting this pop kind of thing, and then huh. you've you've got ringing in your ears a little bit, but you can't really hear anything. Um, the The explosion, you know, pressure mm. pops your eardrum so quick that you're not getting that big boom. Now, maybe if you're a half mile away, you're going to hear a big boom, but if you're right there in sure. that blast area it's going to pop. So what you see in the movies isn't necessarily going to be what you see in the military. Um, and the last thing I'd say Interesting. is,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. The, the, the last thing that I'd you know, say is be prepared to be bored. Um, there there's going to be days, um, where you're waking up to go to the armory for a training event at three 30 in the morning and you guys aren't going to be stepping off until 10 o'clock in the morning. And so you're going to get your rifle and you're going to be sitting on a pack and hurrying up and waiting um, for a couple hours before you go anywhere. Deployments are going to be the same way where you're standing in lines everywhere and weighing things for hours on end and wondering when your plane's going to take off. And uh, so just be prepared to be bored. There's going to be white space days where literally nobody knows what's going on. You know, company commander doesn't have anything planned and the battalion commander didn't have anything planned. and. You know, your squad leader, he's MIA probably at some class or something. Your team leader's off getting drunk somewhere, you know, so you're going to be sitting there. What, what am I going to do? So be prepared to be bored and how to handle that boredom. Um, with me, you know, I read, uh, books Mm -hmm. or, you know, studied up on some of my, um, MOS knowledge, um, just to get to be a little bit better at my job or do one of my classes so I could advance in some rank. Um, you know, you, you, you got to yeah. be able to utilize your time because where things are pretty regimented in the military, there's going to be times where you ain't got nothing to do.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. The, the inherent, one of the inherent flaws of a, of a bureaucracy. <laughs> is yeah. Sometimes you don't have anything to do. Oh
0: <laughs> well, yeah. And then you're going to have paperwork stand so, down days. realities, I guess. Yep. Uh, I mean, you'll, you'll have yeah. paperwork, yeah. you know, stand down days where you, You're going to have to wait your turn, but they have everybody go wait their turn, but there's only like six, seven clerks and there's 200 of you. So you're going to be sitting there for a while and they've got to go through your whole packet to make sure that every I is dotted, (laughs) every T is crossed, that you sign all the right forms and all that kind of stuff. And you're just going to be standing in a line all day. Um, And there will be days like that. That, That's just the reality of the military. yeah wish that was not the case. I wish it could just be ranges and <laughs> just
1: just unleashing belts of ammo down range all day that'd be that'd be the
0: life yeah the the uh, we we had a couple of um you know towards the end, the end of ranges where we'd have extra ammunition and your choices are you can find a way to get rid of it or you can count all the ammo and turn it back in and so basically everybody loads up on everything (laughs) they can and we'll just go ham on everything um because it's a lot easier to do that and we start getting creative with some of the ranges and things like okay we're gonna have competitions i remember uh we we had this one balloon competition where uh our squad leaders uh, i don't even know how the heck they brought them out or what if this was pre-planned or Somebody just had balloons and I don't know why they'd have balloons, but whatever, you know, they blow blew them up and put them out as targets. And then we had competitions, you know, little shoot offs, um, you know, one on one or whatever, and, and kind of did a tournament style and, you know, just doing the, the kind of quick draw shooting and stuff where you just kind of look over and see a quote, bad guy, um, and then pop off a couple rounds and whoever can pop the balloons first on their target wins. Right, right. So you'll have some fun days, too. I mean, it's not all boredom. Sure, sure.
1: Huh. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, I appreciate the insight, The your openness. That's it's yeah. pretty meaningful. Well, uh, you know, you've got to look it. out
0: for the younger generations. Um, and, you know, like I, I, I said, you got to look out for some of the old-timers, too, because... You know, sometimes it just takes you retiring and then everything's coming back. So and it don't matter what war you fought in or if you never deployed into a war, you know, you could have been a cook and ended up, you know, getting really burned or something. You still served. I got to eat my beans. So you you still did your job so I could do my job. Uh, You know, we're we're all veterans And, and that's the way that it is. We We're all willing to square our hand. And frankly, once you sign that contract, you might have signed up to be a cook or a trumpet player or, you know, a clerk uh, over in the admin office, whatever. But at the end of the day, if they need another rifle, you sign the contract and they they can send you to be another rifle. So hmm. we, we all take that risk. And frankly, yeah. you know, even the, quote, pogue jobs personnel other than grunt, you know, that right. they still... Right. You know that we, we still need people out there to fix trucks. We still need people out there to, you know, make sure that we get our paychecks. And if we didn't get our paychecks, to make sure that we have a way to get our paychecks. Um, you know, that that there the, everybody's got to go at some point. Um, now you might be a little bit safer because you stay on a base. You know, get a little bit more time to play some Xbox or something like that if you can find one or you know, get a mini DVD player and watch some movies or whatever. But, you know, there's still mortar risks and all that kind of stuff. So you still face some of the same stuff. Hmm. Um, I mean, we we had a guy that got attacked going to deliver the laundry. He was an admin guy. And they were driving from our little fob over to Camp Fallujah, the kind of main base where all the laundry, laundry facilities were. And They, they took a little bit of small arms fire. So, I mean, stuff happens even if you're in one of the quote safe jobs, you know, um, stuff happens. Sure. Just the way that it is. (laughs) You're in somebody else's country. So (laughs) yeah.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Shocker.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Not everybody's happy necessarily. no, No, not really. Uh, I mean, in most people, they're, they're probably going to treat you more as just an annoyance. I mean, th- think of like a cop checkpoint, you know, on, on a holiday weekend. Um, you know, there's going to be days like that where you're just screening cars, you know, and then they'll tell you to, you know, search every car that's colored blue. And so right. you're going to pull every blue car that comes through a site and search it so that it's more random and or, or, hey, search everything that's a Toyota or, You know, just just whatever they decide to come up with, whatever your squad leader is doing for the disruption patrols, you know, and so you're really an annoyance. You're like that DUI cop that's saying, I need you to pull over into Bay 3, you know, and they're going to give you, you know, check your eyes real quick to make sure that you ain't been drinking. And really what we're doing is we're just seeing if you're nervous and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, that. Sure. we're an annoyance in a lot of cases. Like they don't, a lot of people don't really hate us, but they don't really like us either. Um, and, and you're going to have people that outright hate you. I mean, you're going to get stuff thrown at you. You're going to get stuff, you know, words that you've learned because uh, everybody tends to learn swearing dang near first in another <laughs> language. Right. Um, so you're, you're going to know that you're getting called some pretty dirty things. Um, you know, uh, and, and there's going to be people that want to kill you. Um, but on the flip side of that, you know, you're going to be able to play soccer with kids. You're going to be able to, you know, do a medicine clinic, a, a pop-up medicine clinic, uh, that you're going to guard where people can come in and get, you know, kind of the, um, day clinic style treatments. So like if they have, you know, um, need some skin or for a blister or they need, You know, maybe some stitches because they lacerated their hand or, you know, a baby's got a fever, um, you know, whatever have you. Um, Hmm. So there's going to be plenty of good, too. I mean, uh, I remember one time we got to be there. um, I can't remember when it was, um, but there was like a hospital opening or a clinic opening or something like that. Um, I, I remember that it was a Red Crescent of some sort um, that they, they do Red Crescent instead of Red Cross, mm. um, you know, over in uh, the Middle right. East, obviously because they're Islamic, um, mm. but it was like some kind of clinic or something like that. And uh, you know, we, we got to be there for the opening of that. And we, we've been, you know, securing and kind of babysitting that site,
2: hmm. not really knowing
0: what it was, you know, it's just, Hey, you guys need to make sure, you know, no dudes come and try to put anything in the wet concrete or anything like that. Cause it might be a, you know, explosive. And so we, we basically were babysitting concrete right. as the foundation was going up and stuff. And, you know, sometimes that's the job. And then you find out, Hey, it was a clinic that we were guarding. And now these people have another medical clinic. Um, uh, you know, so yeah. th- there's kind of a little bit of a duality with everything. Um, I, I mean, I I'm typically kind of anti-war with a lot of things um, that I talk about. But at the same note, you know, that there was some good, you know, I, it wasn't all bad. I mean, do I feel like we probably shouldn't have been there a lot of the times? Um, I, I mean, I know that I'd have 23 of my friends still alive uh, if we wouldn't have been there. And I know that there's, you know, Iraqis that would still be alive if we wouldn't have been there. Um, but at the same note, maybe that clinic never would have been there, you know. Um, sure. So, I I mean, and there's no way to really tell, and we can, what if, you know, the past, all we want, The the fact is it's happened. Um, what one of my biggest things is to try to make sure that while there's young men and women who are willing to swear up their hand and swear that oath to serve, um, you know, and be willing and ready. I, I try my darndest to make sure that nobody has to walk in my combat boots again. Um, you know, so I do what I can to try to mm. hold politicians accountable for some of the stuff that they do. Um, I, I mean, the way that I feel politicians are a lot of times is they kind of are looking at the spreadsheet, but you're looking at your friend. You know, you're a number on the spreadsheet that they're looking mm. at, but it's your friend that died. Yeah. It's you know, a guy that you knew since boot camp. It's a guy. That, that you went to high school with that you found out was, you know, killed a couple, um, cities over, you know, it, for, for you, it's not a number on a spreadsheet. It's, and even with, you know, the, the bad guys, uh, however you want to call them, you know, the, the insurgency, uh, whatever, you know, they're, they're farmers, they got families too, you know, um, that they're Hmm. normal people and, frankly, you know, there's times where I don't blame them for trying to kill me because I'd have tried to do the same thing to them if they were over here. You know, if they were sitting there and, yeah. you know, they, they were occupying where I live and, you know, say, I don't know, and whatever firefight they get in with whatever insurgent faction. And one of my kids got killed. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be pissed off. You know, you shouldn't be here mm-hmm. in the first yeah. place. So yeah, I'm going to pick up a gun and I'm going to go and try to, kill some of you. Um, so I I really can't blame them for their stuff. And, uh, you know, actually to go back, there is one more piece of advice thinking of that. Um, to, to that 16, 17, 18 year old, uh, considering joining, I would say don't ever underestimate the people that you may end up facing. That's probably the most important Mm. piece of advice if you're going to go into any kind of combat arms. Uh, So your tankers, your artillery guys, your infantry, that kind of stuff. Those jobs where the metals meet in the meat. Don't ever underestimate. Um, You know, you're going to hear a lot of talk. um, You know, trying to use some kind of maybe racial slurs or whatever to kind of dehumanize and demean the uh, person. And, and people that you may end up facing, but the reality is, is that they're an intelligent human being and they're going to adapt to everything that you adapt to. Um, you know, as, as an hmm. example, yeah. when we first started dealing with IEDs, they basically just dig a hole and put a bomb in it and then cover it up. So we adapted and we started looking for fresh dirt. So they started sticking them in donkeys, corpses and stuff. And so now we had to watch out for donkey corpses right. and then it was trash cans and so you know, and then they stopped using hard wires and started using garage remotes. So we started using, you know, um, uh, frequency jammers. so They couldn't mm. use, you know, remotes and, you know, it's this constant sure. back and forth. They're smart, they're capable, they're human beings just like us. And so don't ever underestimate them, you know, respect them. Um, that you, you got, you, you have to respect your enemy. Um, as weird as that sounds, because you're going to hear contrary to everything that you're told by drill instructors, by, you know, probably every commander that you're going to have, every squad leader you're going to have. Most of them are going to, you know, tell you about how they're stupid. And, you know, like I said, maybe throw in some racial slurs, whatever. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is they're smart human beings. And You know, you might only be seeing some of the dumb ones that were trained a little bit. The really smart ones you probably are not ever going to see because they're smart enough that they get other people to do their stuff. But they're the real masterminds that know how to build complex bombs and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, don't don't ever underestimate them. Hmm. They're going to plan. They're going to adjust. They're going to adapt to what you do. They're going to watch you to see how you react to situations, um, everything like that. So don't, don't ever underestimate, uh, the people over wherever you end up going, if you end up going anywhere.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, <clears throat> a good line, good reminder for life in general, but yeah, that's pretty applicable.
0: Yeah. I, I it, it's a lesson I wish that I would have been taught to be perfectly honest. Um, I, I didn't learn to appreciate hmm you know, the culture and the Iraqi people until I got up towards my second deployment. And, um, I, I, wish that I would have, and I wish that I would have had kind of a little bit more of that appreciation, um, and understanding and respect. And, you know, it wasn't just this dumb, you know, jarhead, you know, 18 year old that, you know, is just hard charging and young and dumb, um, you know, a little bit more maturity, maybe right. something like that. But, um, so if there, there's any lessons, it's, you know, some of those that I went over, but respect, um, re- respect the enemy. They're, they're smarter yeah. than you think.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, you got yeah, anything Yeah, I, I appreciate it.
1: No, I was, I was going to say any last thoughts or comments or exhortations.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I, man, I, I could talk military talk for days on end. Uh, I, I, am still telling fresh stories, some old ones too, to, to my wife these days, you know, um, it's a, it's a part of my life. Um, and it helped, it helped shape me into who I am. And I don't think that there's really any dishonor in wanting to serve. Um, politicians, you know, maybe they, they have a little bit of the dishonor, but I, I don't think that these young men and women who legitimately want to serve their countries. And I, I'd say the same for any other country, you know, even ones we fought, even ones we're fighting now, um, even ones we may fight in the future, you know, they, they have the same kind of drive um, and they're going to come from similar backgrounds. They're going to come from similar homes, um, there, there's going to be a parallel you somewhere out there, um, that you may end up, you know, facing someday. And so I, I have the utmost respect, um, for that warrior class, uh, of person that's willing to stand up and say that I am going to defend the people that I love. Um, and and, you know, there's admiration in that. And, Sure. Cultures may be a little bit different. You know, you might believe in a different God. Um, you, you may speak a different language, all those kinds of things. But when you really get down to it, um, any other day, if you know, there's not a fight, you'd probably be drinking a beer in a bar with that guy because he's exactly your kind of people. Um, right. You know, that, that, that's, something i truly feel um you know that there's a lot of talk about you know the what what might happen with this whole russia situation and stuff and one thing i like to kind of remind myself is that um you know those russian boys they want to go home too you know they 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 yeah. don't want to be there any more than anyone else but they're doing their job and mm. so it's important that we don't dehumanize In my opinion, the uh, people that we may end up fighting, that we are fighting, and that we have um, fought—that they're human um, beings—that that's something that I think is missed a lot and a lot. Whether you're pro-war, whether you're anti-war, whether you know you're whatever, however you stand on things, um, I think we lose the humanity uh, of the situation a lot. And, you know, Hmm. hopefully some of what we talked about kind of adds a little bit of that humanity back in there. And uh, people can realize that we're all just trying to do our best and get through this life and make it one day at a time. And some of us, unfortunately, are going to end up fighting each other because some other people that aren't going to face it decided that they don't like each other. And you signed up. So... Hmm. Um, yeah, but I, I definitely would encourage people to also check out, um, my band. Um, we, we do have kind of a little bit of militaristic, uh, level kind of songs. Um, a lot, a lot of the stuff that is drawn, it's actually drawn from, uh, some of my experience. Um, I mean, we talked about filth, they got to listen, um, to, you know, three Bravo, um, Mm-hmm. And those are two examples. We've got another one that's called coming out here soon that's called 2,000 Sons. Uh, that's coming out next month, I do believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that one's, you know, a war story. Um, not mine per se, but I did use some of my perspective to help write that one. Uh, I've got one that's called No Quarter. And, and that one is actually kind of an interesting song that's coming up uh, with the full album drop. Uh, th- this one is... Um, kind of what I talked about where we're we're all kind of dealing with the same stuff. Um, so both me and my brother are vocalists on this one. And we're kind of going back mm. and forth through this song, basically trying uh, acting as if we're the commanders of troops. and we're trying to amp up our guys um, throughout this song. And we're we're just uh, mm. c- kind of sitting there saying a lot of the same things. You know, these guys are gonna kill you. They're never gonna let you have a moment to breathe. So you need to give them no moment to breathe. And then, you know, my brother will come in with something similar and we kind of do this back and forth thing. And, you know, it's a cool fight song, but at the same note, it's kind of got that subtext in there where we're kind of talking about how, you know, we're all kind of the same, you know, in that military culture, you know, whether, you know, you're on this side or that side, Hmm. we're all kind of the same dudes. Uh, One of the really cool things that I got to experience in that line was actually getting to hang out with some of the former Republican guard of the Iraqi army that signed back up once the army came back in and just kind of chill with these guys. And a year ago, we were trying to kill each other, you know, Um, and now we're sitting there having tea in the afternoons together, telling old war stories and stuff and the stupid crap all grunts do. Uh, we we had this one dude. His name was Big Show. Uh, at least that's what we called him because uh, the dude was like six foot six, like two hundred eighty pounds, professional bodybuilder. Used to freaking lift with like Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the day. Fought in the Gulf War as a like a, a young enlistee. Made his way up the ranks. He used to be a sergeant wow. major and everything. You know, and he was like, yeah, I I learned not to fight the Marines when I was in the Gulf War. So when you guys were coming up on our positions during the, you know, 03 invasion, we'd just kind of move around and, you know, go find some army guys to mess with and, you know, stuff like that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it it, it was interesting because we we actually got to see a different side and kind and, and, you know, that just goes back to if it was any other day, we'd probably be having a beer together. Um, It's just kind of that mentality huh, of yeah. what a warrior is. You know, we respect each other and the capabilities. And you know, frankly, I wouldn't want to go toe to toe with Big Show because, like I said, like six foot six or some crap like that, two hundred some odd, like eighty pounds. Um, and he would—he actually would show the Big picture boy. off every friggin' <laughs> chance he got of him with Arnold. Every chance. And and, I mean, who wouldn't, you know, I mean, you're you're competing in, you know, Mr. Universe or whatever, uh, competition it was. And of course you're going to show that stuff off. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's some cool stuff that is out there. If there's one thing that I miss, it's that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, I don't like getting shot at. Yeah. I don't like getting blown up. Yeah. You know, you definitely don't want to see a friend die or get hurt, you know, all that kind of stuff really sucks, but the people that you meet, um, I mean that they're more than just friends. I mean, it, it, you, you, it's so cliche, but I mean, it's a Mm -hmm. band of brothers. It really is. Um, I mean, I, the, the guys that I served with, I, I still talk to all the time And, and it may not be as frequent as when we were all in the barracks together and stuff like that, but you know, you, you, hit people up all the time. Like, Hey, how's your wife and kids? Or, Hey, you know, when when you, when you coming down to Utah or, you know, they'll be like, Hey Craig, when you coming down to Michigan, you know, things like that. And and then we have reunion stuff, like I said earlier, and then you get that bond back again. And it's like, you, you never left. You're that 18, 19 year old kid again. And y'all are playing shenanigans run. I, 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 I could have stories for days on shenanigans. Um, But, um, you know, those are the things that you don't regret, but you definitely miss. Um, and and no matter how hard I tried, you know, whether it was involvement in politics, whether it was, you know, different places that I worked, um, you know, church, whatever, I've never found that level of trust of, you know of brotherhood, um, anywhere. Um, I mean, Hmm. you, you know, up down without a doubt that that dude is literally going to do anything for you. So it's just that that's probably the things that I miss the most, um, getting to meet cool people. Um, you know, when you're overseas getting to try different foods, getting to, you know, learn about the cultures and, you know, that brotherhood, um, and experiencing it with your brothers and, you know, going through that blood, sweat and tears and, you know, all that kind of stuff where, you know, they, 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 they've just got you. Um, so if you're one of those young yeah. 16, 17, 18 year olds, and you're looking for that kind of thing, avoid the gangs and, uh, go, go try, uh, try your shot of becoming a Marine because you, you you'll definitely find it there.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Appreciate it.
0: You know, I just realized I trailed off as I ramble and do, um, especially once I start talking about the good <laughs> old days. Um, <clears throat> I, I had started off saying that folks should go check out my band. Um, and um, mm, yeah, yeah, Uh, So the website, um, and this has like all of our social media links, all that kind of stuff. So YouTube, Twitter, um, all that kind of stuff is three, and that's the number three. Um, So threebravoband.com, and it'll link to everything Mm -hmm. we've got. So Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, I don't know. There's probably some other weird, obscure stuff out there. Uh, that, that I probably signed us up for and linked and forgot about, but, um, you know, you'll, you'll be able to find everything there as well as get some previews of music that's coming out, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, if you forget that, then you can just look up three Bravo and then just look for that three in the B logo. Uh, it's bright white letters on black background. Sure. Um, so you you can't miss us. I, I made it really simple, stupid i'm a marine i eat crayons so you know you got to keep it easy for us um <laughs> uh and but yeah it, it's pretty three easy.
1: Threebravoband.com.
0: yep three bravoband.com yep. and you'll be able to find it uh, find us out and then hopefully maybe someday we'll be in your town and if you're a veteran and you, you happen to see that we got a show coming let me know ahead of time and we'll see if we can't get you like backstage or something like that i'm always down for a good old veteran talk or you know doing a little toast i don't really drink anymore but uh you know i'll have a water you can have a beer beer will be on me wait until i'm famous though because you know got to be able to afford that Nice. yeah but yeah that's (laughs) my story in a nutshell it's
1: coming Awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Uh definitely appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking
1: given... that the, the ver...
0: I believe we were talking yeah, I was
1: going to say uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the version of filth that you have on SoundCloud it's almost like an acoustic acoustic version it'd be kind of neat for um... non non metal heads like me to to hear an album like that that'd be pretty neat i think
0: um so there is actually a lot of acoustic guitar but, in that one uh which is really cool about it we kind of did oh, okay uh, quite, quite a bit softer on that song um it was obviously on purpose um we, we kind of wanted to what well, one of the things we try to do with our music is connect with the emotion of what's being talked about so like with the three the the song mm. three bravo um you've got something that's really high intensity because it's basically a battle scene, so to speak. Um, you know, so you get a little bit more of that, you know, adrenaline heart pumping, you know, level stuff. Um, but with filth, it's more of that, this is how I feel, you know, trying to process this stuff. And so we kind of slowed it down a little bit and it's still heavy, You know, it's got some a little bit of electric guitar, but it's got that acoustic guitar, you know, coming in over the top. And it's, um, you know, just got it it slowed down tempo a little bit, you know, um, all that kind of jazz. And we we wanted to make sure that we're conveying, you know, the emotion um, that the song needs. Hmm. Uh, And and interestingly enough, I actually wrote that bass line that started the whole song when I was over in Iraq on one of my buddy's guitars, um, just kind of figured out how the huh. bass, uh, and I'm like, Hey, this sounds kind of cool. And then I started putting some lyrics down while I was over there. And then after I came home, kind of finished it out, um, with, with some of the things where it's like, I really got to get some of this stuff out. And so ended up finishing the last half of it, uh, where it was more, you know, um, Where every time when I go back home, everyone looks at me like I've done something wrong, you know, and and it's not that people are looking at you wrong. It's, it's more of the, you know, feeling of almost being an outcast a little bit because it's harder to relate to people in those moments, you know, they didn't experience those kinds of things, you know, while you were off in the desert, you know, sleeping in the dirt and, you know, having you know, to go without a shower for, you know, 10 days in a row, um, and using baby wipes, you know, to clean yourself the best you could there, they were sipping their Starbucks every day and, you know, life, life continues on. Um, so, uh, you, you know, that, that's kind of the emotions we wanted to convey with that. And so, yeah, you, you'll get some slower tempo stuff, Uh, with with what we do too and while we do have some guttural vocals with kind of backing lines and stuff or maybe to emphasize certain parts kind of more in your death Mm -hmm. metal kind of tradition most of what we try to do is do just really nice good clean lyrical stuff because we we want you to feel that emotion. And the great thing about my brother, he, he's the one that does most of the singing. Um, I, I do some backing vocals and I did sing filth, um, cause it was written for my vocal range. Um, and I've got sure. a much deeper voice than my brother. I mean, that dude could hit high notes like no tomorrow. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, the, the great thing about my brother, like when I heard three Bravo for the first time, on some of the ways that he emoted, it was what I felt when I was there. Um, Mm, The the one line that really sticks out for me um, on the way that he sung um, is the, when it's talking about the wake up to the main gun, twisted to the air, um, pierced flesh bites as shots ring clear. Uh, C brothers bleeding and cursing in pain that Sea brothers bleeding. When he says that line, it gives you almost a gut wrench feeling. Um, just the way that he kind of hmm. hits the notes and just kind of stretches them. And, and, you know, your, your listeners will be able to rewind it or whatever. Um, or, or, you know, go subscribe to my Spotify. I'm totally cool with that too. Uh, cause it's going to be out here in about a week. Couple of days, no, it'd be a couple of days. Well, time flies. Um, but yeah, yeah, you, you know, you, you're gonna feel that gut wrench on that part, and then um, uh, another one when it hits the line of two more Marines now guard Heaven's Gates. The way that he um, gets that <clears throat> instead of a stomach knot, kind of feel like the gut wrench. It's more of a gut sink um, is the way that I feel when, mm. you know, you, you hear him sing that note and he, he just does it so well. Um, and I didn't even find out he could sing until this year, uh, which was totally crazy. But that's another story altogether. Um, but, but I'm really thankful to my brother. Um, he, he does the drumming and the vocals for hmm. us. And, and without my brother, I don't think we would have gotten the song that we did. I mean, I do uh, a lot of the more guttural stuff on that song to kind of give that harsher edge, um, like on the line, Pierced Flesh. Um, you know, I, I kind of do this guttural scream kind of thing because that's the way that it feels, when you can actually have, you know, like I, I mentioned earlier, having that involuntary liberate piercing, um, you know, you, you can feel this kind of searing um, pins and needles feeling where it's smaller, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so you, you kind of get more mm-hmm. of that where it needs a, you know, kind of thing, because that's the way that it feels. Um, and so right, everything sure. we're, we're doing, we're trying to get that emotion across and translate it and, Uh, Just a little Mm. preview real quick, and then I'll shut my trap. Um, But uh, (laughs) I'm working on a new song. This will actually be on our second album, so yay. We're not going to be done after one. Mm. Um, But one one of the ones that I'm writing, and I think that a lot of uh, guys and gals might be able to relate to this one a lot. Um, I haven't quite settled on a title yet but it's going to be something along the lines of like, you know, final letter or last letter home, something along those lines. And I actually adapted the letters that I had left in my, you know, um, in my little lockbox that I had under my rack, uh, when I was deployed that had the final letters that would go out to my mom, my dad, my siblings, mm. um, you know, my, my wife at the time. Um, and I I think a lot of people are going to relate with that one if they've deployed, because we, as far as I know, all the guys that I served with had them, but it was just, you know, a, a way to kind of impart your last words, um, to your family, whatever advice you had for like a younger sibling or, um, you know, in my case, I actually had a child that wasn't even born yet. Um, when I was on my last deployment, Hmm. um, my, my ex-wife, uh, was pregnant with my first kid. And, um, you know, so I, I literally wrote a letter to a child that I may never meet. Um, and and Um, I think that was probably the hardest letter that I wrote. Because how do you sum up a lifetime of dad advice, you know, on a couple sheets of paper? Um, and
1: Yeah, no kidding.
0: One of the reasons why I chose to start writing that song um, and, and starting to work on the music actually now, I've actually wrapped up the lyrics. Um, but one of the reasons why I chose to do that is it really does show the humanity um, you know, we're not just these robotic um, automatons that are out there, um, you know, when we're out in combat. I mean, we may seem like we have no emotion and that we're these unthinking, you know, grunts that that are out there doing stuff. But the reality is, is that we, we understand our mortality uh, quite greatly. Um, and we are... We know that we may be saying goodbye for the last time when we deploy, um, and so the only way that we can say anything one last time is to have that last letter. Um, hmm, yeah, and so I, I think that's going to be, um, hopefully, at least in theory, uh, something that can connect with a lot of people um, that do these kind of jobs. Um, I mean, I am sure that firefighters and police officers may even do something similar. Um, you know, cause they're in higher risk jobs where they could end up not coming home at the end of shift. Um, you know, so hmm. I, I, think there's, you know, kind of that sentiment and a lot of people still, they do last wills and testaments, you know, where there's a little read off. Um, so, so even beyond the military, you know, I, I, think we all kind of want to say at least one more thing to the people that we love.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of How I Embraced the South. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend. And as my Girl Scout den mother used to say, stay frosty.
0: didn't have a choice, you know,
2: just compelled.